0: This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor of Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. Uh, My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at Amen. We're going to be in Titus chapter three. We're going to look at verses one through eight. And as you turn there, I want to ask you, what in your life tries to rob you of the grace of God? You see, sin makes us feel sometimes like we're so guilty that we don't deserve it, or uh, sometimes sin causes us to doubt the grace of God in our lives because if we had the grace, why would we live in the way that we do? And so some things try to rob you of the grace of God by blocking you from seeing that it's been poured out on your life in every area of your life. And a lot of times when we don't bring God what is going on with our lives and the sin that others see in us or that we see in ourselves, we don't let God's grace cover those sins. We hide them inside, doubting and um, um, building up guilt that causes us to wonder if God's grace is really evident within us. We talked about this a bit last week, and I want to look more into it this week, As God purifies our hearts And he's cleansing us from what is old and bringing in what is new. What does that look like within the household we saw in chapter 2 of Titus? Now, what does that look like in chapter 3 within the community? Now, uh, if you are familiar with mechanics and working with cars and you've ever changed oil, um, what you do is you allow all of the oil to get out of the car and then you replace it with new oil. So what happens, if you don't do this, sometimes uh, there will be little shards of metal in your oil. This happens when pistons uh, could um, scrape off or piston rings start to decompose um, or little pieces of metal get inside of your engine and cause other scraping. And you get little pieces of metal. If you work on cars, you know that is one of the, or any type of uh, four-wheelers, lawnmowers, anything, you know that's one of like the, the worst things to see when you start to change oil. You're like, man, there's, there's a metal in my oil. I know what this means. If you take that old oil and add in new oil and mix it together, it's, you're still going to have the same problem. That metal is going to go throughout your engine, cause you to throw a, a crankshaft, cause you to throw a piston rod. It's going to cause you to mess up your engine even more. You see, the thing that God does in our life is He completely eradicates all that is evil and wicked in us, and He brings in the new. It's the beauty of the gospel is that he doesn't just take um, our brokenness and and, uh, allow us to live within it and feel the effects of it and endure it on this earth without the promise that one day we will be completely free from these things. That all that junk and all that filth that we talked about last week is going to be completely out of our lives and there's only going to be goodness left and the goodness comes directly from our Father. And so my main point for you this morning is this, is that God purifies his people. In Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, we see it in this way. It says, Remind them to submit to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting, and to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another, But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out His Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. Titus wants us to see, uh, Paul wants Titus to see, really, in chapter 2 and chapter 3, that there is a way of living within your household that is right and good in God's sight, and that it's because of the gospel that we have changed the way that we live in this life, specifically in our household. And then chapter 3, I'm seeing it. It's happening. The ringing is going to go away. Just pull, just pull the mic down. Mike is going to pull the mic down. I appreciate it, Mike. <laughs> thank you. Um, I'm talking quieter today because I don't have some of my energy built up. So it's probably... Okay, anyways, thank you guys uh, for that momentary break and silence commercial uh, for June 3rd, senior adult and young adult trip to the Bible Museum. Um, Anyways, let's go back. (laughs) The way we live in the house ought to be transformed because of the way that the gospel has changed our lives. And the way that we live in the community is transformed by the way that the gospel has transformed our lives. That's what Titus is showing us in Titus 2 and Titus 3, is that gospel changes the way we live in every area of our life. So start here with this chapter 3, verse 1, where it says, remind them to submit to rulers and authorities. It's a, it's a fascinating challenge to us, right? Because it's so hard. But if you think about it, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a cross-the-board challenge to Christians. Do you think that um, God the Father, when he was sending his son into the world, was like, man, these Christians, or, or sorry, this world, let's say this world, this world has it all together. They do a really good job of governing this thing. Like, creation looks great. They've got great great walls in place. Uh, My son is going to be well taken care of. He's going to be good because the people are good. Like, that's not what God the Father saw in his creation when he sent his son into it. And yet, he sent his son to serve the people and from beginning to end to submit to the rulers and authorities. You think about it like this. In the beginning in his life, um, the rulers were out to kill him when he was a baby. And at the end of his life, the rulers were out to kill him. It was at the end of his life when the, the ruler allows for this crucifixion to take place and the people are yelling crucify him that Jesus really embodies what we are challenged to show right here is that he literally came to serve and not to be served. To submit and to do what God had called him to do. Specifically what the son was called to do in, within that, uh, uh, the creation that God Oversaw God the Father was not surprised that He sent His Son into a world that was broken, and yet called His Son to serve it. So why would God not call us as Christians into a broken world to serve it? What we're doing is we're looking at this world and going, "Man, this is so challenging." Too Uh, Chapel and Hughes say like this: they say "Um, it shouldn't be uh, like like the Bible does not remove the 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 tension and the pressure and the challenge for Christians to obey uh, uh, leaders and authorities and governing fig- figures just because of their wickedness. Man, you think about Daniel, you think about like, and how he, how he engaged it, but he engaged it in a holy way, in a righteous way. You think about your own life and how you can engage these things. Ask yourself this, is the way that you engage culture and the way that you engage your community centered on this idea... That God has given you good works and the Christ-like attitude to show good works and to live like Christ in your community. And when you do, it doesn't mean that those who lead you, your boss, your teacher, so children who are in school, teenagers who are in school, uh, parents and, and, and singles, when you work in the workforce, your boss, it's not, this does not mean that they're going to be holy and righteous, but it does mean that we're going to allow them to lead us even as Christians. It does mean that we're going to submit to them. It means that we're going to use our gifts and talents and blessings from the Lord to serve them. It's a radical new way of thinking about things, but it's perfectly in line with, look at verse 15 of chapter 2. It says, proclaim these things, encourage and rebuke with all authority, and let no one disregard you. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. It's like this, you've been given all authority. In heaven and earth, Christ, God, sends his son. His son gives the authority to the disciples. The disciples go to make disciples. He then tells Titus, you have all authority to preach the gospel. And the next verse is, submit to your governing authorities. It's like we have this authority, but yet we yield it in this, for the sake of the gospel because the gospel moves forward when we embody the character of Christ as we do the works of Christ. If we do the works of Christ without the character of Christ, what we start to look like is, have you ever... Have you ever seen those people? Or maybe you're caught in this moment of like you yourself or like you do all these things and you, you say you do them for the sake of Christ. Maybe you do them for the church. You're doing all these different works, uh, but you don't embody the, the, the character of Christ and the attitude of Christ while you do them. You're that person that everybody's like, man, yeah, they'll serve, but whoo, watch out. It's that person that's like, I, you know, ready to run and do everything, but then, but then they bring a character that's not anywhere consistent with Christ. And you're like, whoa, hold on. See, we've got to be careful that we don't do a lot of good things for God while not embodying the character and attitude of God. And so for us, we submit because our Savior submitted. We we, uh, had the attitude because our Savior's attitude, and we serve because our Savior served. And so so we submit to our governing authorities, to rulers and authorities. That doesn't just mean our national or our state or our local. It means your bosses. It means your teachers. It means anyone who's been placed in a leadership over you, uh, submitting to them. And I'm going to later share with you a couple of reasons why we shouldn't. When we should uh, have holy disobedience, right? Because there's a challenge here. Do you see it in verse, uh, verses 1 and 2? Watch this. It says, uh, submit to rulers and authorities, obey and be ready for every good work. Now here's the character of Christ. Don't slander anyone. Don't, uh, don't fight with them. Uh, be kind to them and show gentleness to them. That's the character of Christ. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and detesting one another. Did you see what happened there? He calls us to obedience and then shows us that we used to live in disobedience. So the more we move into an unholy disobedience, the more we move back into our old way of life. And it's like Christ pulled you out of that. Like Christ brought you into obedience, and being in that obedience looks like submitting and serving one another. From the household level, submitting and serving to one another, men and women serving, children serving, uh, the whole household in the American culture, those who are within it serving one another. And then it moves on to your workplace into your education life and to the, any sphere where there's some leadership above you. And all of a sudden, we see this submission and this love for one another. It has the character of Christ within it. And we, and we recognize that the more we have obedience, we're embodying the character of Christ. And the more we have disobedience, we're stepping back into that old, foolish way of life. Now, of course, there's an, unho- uh, there's an unholy disobedience and there's a holy disobedience. Um, and we're going to look at that, like I said. But right now what I'm focusing in on is this. If God has called you to do something, do it with His character. If God has called you to do something, do it with His character. Every good work with the character of Christ in your community. Not slandering, not fighting, but loving, gentleness, kindness. So it's not just what we do, it's how we do it, and it's why we do it. Look at verse 4. This is the why. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. That's why. Verse 3 begins with, We too were once foolish. Verse 4 begins with, But when the kindness of God. We know who we were, but when the kindness of God appeared, it saved us to be someone different to do different works with the character of God because we've been freed and forgiven and that grace has covered all that sin. We're not bringing it back into our, into our life and allowing it to take root. We've emptied ourselves of that old oil and taking on the new and our lives have been transformed. And, and the way that scripture says it is this. It says uh, uh, in, in verse five, he saved us not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. That's how he has saved it. The mechanics to what he has done is he has regenerated and renewed. So we have to ask the question: What does it mean to be regenerated and renewed? Because it only uses this, these words uh, very few times throughout Scripture. In fact, renewed is only used twice. The other one is in Romans 12:2. You might know it memorized when renewing the mind. All right. So if this is only used twice, we got to figure out what this means. And the reason I use that illustration is because largely regeneration is emptying what is old, and renewal is bringing in what is new. So God is cleansing us, he's purifying us of what is unrighteous, and he's bringing in that which is new and righteous. So as God saves us, he's actually emptying us of those evil works, wicked works, and he's bringing in those every good work. He's emptying us of that uh, ill-mannered character and attitude, and he's bringing in the character of Christ into our lives. So as you wonder, like, what is salvation? What is it doing in my life? What, how do I uh, embody God's character and God's call, those every good works, in my household and in my community? It's because of this passage. Look at what it says in verse 6. He poured, us, he poured out His uh, Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So not only has He saved us, cleansed us, and purified us, but He's given us the Spirit to do those good works in us with the character of Christ working through it. So the Holy Spirit's at work in you to cleanse you, to purify you, and to help you do every good work through the power of the Spirit and with the character of Christ Jesus in your life. Verse 7 says, So that, having been justified by His grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. That's as we say here, you, you are becoming what you've been declared. You've been declared good because of Christ's work, and you're being made to be who you've been declared to be. One day, in eternity, you'll be declared good And there will be no wickedness, evil, brokenness, disease, death around you. What God has already declared in you, that that beginning state that He's already declared in you as heaven comes down into a wicked place on earth and has declared you to be good, you are becoming and will be declared forever, eternity with God. That's why He says, Hope. Because we have this hope within us that this is not the end, that what we experience on earth is not our final state regenerated and renewed in this life and for eternity. And so we can have confidence as we approach the throne of God, as Jesus reigns above the earth, and we come before him with these struggles that we have. Some of this stuff that we pull up from our hearts, that we, people tell us we are like or people identify in us, we pull up and we think, could God have grace on that? If we tuck it back within us, in our hearts, and in our minds, if we tuck it back down deep and we don't bring it out, it's like surely God won't forgive that. What is it causing us? Guilt, shame, doubt. See, we have to be careful here because when God calls us to do every good work with His character, but we have sin that causes us to be clouded from embodying His character and doing His work, then we won't be the light in the community that He's called us to be. So we have to deal with this stuff head on to recognize that we've been cleansed and purified to do what God has called us to do. And you can see it in verse 8, right? It says, This saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. They might devote themselves to good works. You see what it says. Believed in God, devoted to good works. We have been justified, and we have hope that we will be glorified and are being glorified. We have been uh, purified and cleansed, and we are being made righteous and doing what God has called us to do. Like On this journey, as we do every good work with the character of Christ being embodied, we're becoming more like Christ, embodying Christ to this world, it's going to preach the gospel. It says it's profitable for everyone Why? Because the world sees Christ in you and sees what you do, and they turn to him. And So Paul wants Titus to create a heaven on earth, a a way of life that is different than the world, character that is different than the world, works that are different than the world. And so church, if we're going to be different than the world, we need to recognize that the grace of God has covered every sin in your life, that when we tuck them down and hide them from the grace of God, all we're doing is causing shame and guilt in our own lives because He has already freed and forgiven us. And so I want to ask you this morning to live different in your community, to live different because you've been regenerated and renewed, and to live different because you were devoted to good works. I want to ask you to live different because living different shows people that there's a difference in those who are Christians and those who are not. And when they do, they ask why. And when they ask why, you tell them Jesus. So I want to give you a process for identifying some of these things in your life. Because this is a, this is a truth, but it's a challenge. Like God's grace is a beautiful truth, but it's also it's something to steward over It's something to care for in our own lives. Did you notice that uh, Titus 1, 2, and 3 all point to the grace of God at the very beginning of it? Like because of God's grace, we live different. He says it in chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, and he wants us to know that, that God's grace is going to cause us to live different. And we've got to steward over that in our own lives as we grow in life and as we get older in life, as we have more people that we lead and children that we influence and society that we uh, touch and, and change and speak into and all of these different things, we can use the goodness of God in our life that has been uh, created by the Spirit of God in our life to transform those who are around us. And so we've got to be careful that we don't uh, lose our, our love and our passion and excitement for the grace of God that is in our lives. So is there anything in your life that you are not battling? Here's what I mean by that. Is there anything in your life that you have not said like, man, I'm willing to go to war against this. Is anything that you're like holding in, like people have told you, man, this might be a struggle for you. This might be something that you probably shouldn't engage in. And you're like, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to do that. Those are the things that we have to be careful that don't hold us back from the grace of God and recognizing that grace in our life. If you read through Hebrews, that's like what he's saying. He's like, man, don't, don't hold those things back. God has already freed and forgiven you. Uh, Romans 6 tells us this. Don't return to that slavery. Roman uh, Galatians 5, right? Don't return to that slavery. Be free. You are free. We talk about that a lot in here, right? So why would we want to return to that? It's because we want to hold sin. We want to hold that within us instead of exposing that within our hearts and letting God's grace cover that in good healthy community called the church it's what we were built for to encourage one another to overcome sin and extend grace to one another not to shut each other down and so I want to ask you this morning is there anything in your life that you're not willing to battle because you fear that God's grace is not enough is there anything in this life that you you don't want to battle because you fear what other might other people might think about you anything you don't want to battle because you fear that God's grace won't actually apply to that. Like, I don't think God would forgive me of this. And I want to to walk you through a thought process. I want you to think about this. Write it down. Put it in your phone. Uh, We're going to go slow through this. I want you to think about this. Write down something in your life that other people have identified in you or seen in you that might be sin. Maybe you don't know if it's sin. Maybe you're like, I'm just not sure. Like, maybe you're a, a, a man in here, and you're like, some people tell me that I get angry often, but I don't think I really get angry. I mean, come on, bring that into the light. Let's let's examine that. Let's see if it's in, because if it is, let's deal with it. I, I, I honestly, I don't know if uh, anybody in my D group's in here this morning. I, I can't see, but my uh, second service there was. And honestly, the D group this week, I I took something to them and I said, hey guys, I'm not sure if this is sin or not. Will you help me see if in my life this is something that is sin? It's not a fun process necessarily. They kind of laughed at me to an extent, you know. It's like, it's like, come on, Matt. But we don't want to ever get to the point where we're like too legalistic about stuff, but we also don't want to get to the point where we're not willing to come together and go, hey man, like help me discover what we got going. Okay, so what in your life is something that maybe you know internally or other people have said around you that might be sin or a temptation to sin that you need to seek out a purification from, cleansing from through the Spirit so that you might do what is right? Will you write that down and then will you do this? And, and some of you have been through sermon series where I've given this kind of same counsel. Uh, put it in front of biblical truth. Let biblical truth speak into it. Have you ever taken that? Like maybe it's anger, greed, Gossip, slander, maybe it's some form of sexual sin, uh, maybe it's some form of physical sin, uh, whatever it may be, would you just take that before the Lord, emotional sin and, and His Word, and say, what does God's Word say about this? Right, And then after that, would you take it into a community of believers that you trust, which should be found in your church, if you haven't found that, talk to Pastor Glenn, come to Alpha, we want to f- help you find that. Take it to a community that you can work with and bring it to them and ask them, would they look at that in your own life? To help you identify, is that sin in your life? And then fourth, because this is different. It's one thing to say, hey, is this sin in my life? It's another thing to say, hey, will you help me with this? I wanna I want help in overcoming this sin in my life. Will you help me? You've seen it. Now help me walk through it. Pastors, counselors, spiritual friends, D group leaders, life groups brothers and sisters who can help you walk through that sin struggle. And finally, and this is the challenge we see through Titus. It's used there's at least 3 different biblical uh, Greek words that are translated as self-control in God's uh, in Titus. There's not at least 9 different ones in the New Testament. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. And it's a challenge that we've been given because of the grace that has been poured out into our hearts. Do we have self-control in our life? And you know, I thought about this, and I've been praying through this, and then my my friend, uh, one of my brothers in Christ, dearly loved, sent me this article on self-control. And I read through it, and I was like, man, that just like communicates what I'm trying to say about self-control it's this idea that if the, if the fruit of the Spirit is, like self-control is a fruit of the Spirit that's been given by the Spirit, and Christ is working our lives. Uh, when you get to that point where you've given it over to other brothers and sisters, and they've counseled you through it, and you ask the question, have I gained self-control over this? Maybe in your mind, think about it like this. Do I have Christ's control over this? So it's a little bit different, right? Because self-control is my ability to control my body. My ability to control my thoughts, my attitude. But Christ's control is different. It's coming before Christ and going, is this your attitude, Christ? It's radically different. Christ, is this this what you would have me do in every good work? In fact, self-control, if it's my ability to control my body, emotions, and my attitude, Christ's control is Christ's ability to control my body and my attitude what if I'm allowing Christ to move and do what he would call me to do through me? Like, what if I'm allowing him to do what he's already called me to do? If he called me to do every good work, and he called me to have the attitude that he has, what if I'm allowing him to do that in me? And I'm just giving over control, essentially coming to the throne of God and saying, it's yours. Here's my temptations. Here's my sin. Here's my works. Here's my family. Here's my job. Here's what I I love to do. Here's my uh, talents. Here's my gifts. You control them. What do you want me to take back and do? What do you want me to speak? What do you want me to see? Who do you want me to touch? Who do you want me to pray for? Who do you want me to minister to? Where do you want me to go? Christ's control, giving it over, and it's it's recognized because look, self control is an English word dis- displaying what a Greek word means, right? And if it's a fruit of the Spirit, really it's, it's something that the Spirit gives to us. It's the ability to, to control these things because the Spirit is within us. And so it's Christ's power. If we have any control over our bodies, it's because Christ has given it to us in the first place. And so brothers and sisters, when you bring that before Christ and give Him control over these things, I think that He's going to... I'm confident, that according to his word, he's going to create you into his image, back into the image that he created you in in Genesis 1. And if he's doing that, and he came as a servant to submit, then we go right back to the beginning of this chapter. See, all these things start to make sense. When we're giving Christ control, then all of a sudden our household looks like Christ our community starts to look like Christ. The way we serve one another, I don't don't even know if I mentioned this in this, (laughs) because this is the third service, so I totally apologize if I already said this. But have you noticed that in our household and in the community and in our spiritual lives, Christ has just called us to submit to everyone? Like brothers and sisters, just to submit to one another. Husbands and wives are submitting and sacrificing to one another. Children are submitting to their parents. Like leaders and followers, governing authorities and, and, and bosses and all these. Like we're submitting to one another. Even authorities are submitting to authorities. Did you see that? We've been given the authority to preach. We've been given the authority to make disciples. And yet we're submitting to the authority of those who are around us. The gospel transforms us in this way. Note this down, because submission we so often think of in some like uh, dictator sense, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. We think about it some dictator. I want, to, I want you to push that off. You can go back and listen to that sermon. Push that off and take this up. Think about this. What is submitting to one another and serving one another looks more like this. God has blessed you and gifted you immensely, and now we're using those and stewarding those to submit and serve one another. So, so look at this. Maybe you've struggled with pride throughout your life. Uh, Maybe you struggled with anger or gossip. We're flipping those things. The gospel's turning those things upside down. So pride says, look at what I have and look who I am. Humility in the gospel says this, because of what I have and who I am, I'm going to serve you. It uses what God has given us to bless those who are around us. Knowledge is not to be uh, um, run over people, but rather we listen and learn from one another and how we can be better. Knowledge is dispensed for the growth of others, not to show our own strength. Money is not something for other people to look at to, to, to glorify ourselves. It's something to be given out to others to bless others as we steward over what God has given us. And so we flip everything. Those who were greedy are giving. Those who were angry are kind. Those who were selfish are, are sharing. Those who are uh, uh gossiping against others are now encouraging one another. Those who are slandering others are now counseling one another. And also the gospel flips everything on its head. And all that pride that we built up on who we are is broken down into humility, which goes, I'm going to use everything that once was a failure for me, now for your good. And so God has given you the gift of encouragement. Are you using that for your glory or to encourage others? If God has given you a blessing in this life of financial stability, are you using that to bless others? If God has given you a talent or the ability to talk to people and and care well for people, are you using that for your own good and to build up those around, uh, build up a a mass following? Are you building up a following of Christ? Like we take every blessing in our life, every talent and treasure that we have, and we give it over to Christ's control, and Christ uses it through us to submit to one another. It's like this. It's, I think the best way I could illustrate it is this. It's like, God, take everything that I have, and he goes, okay, well, here, now give it to those who are around you. It's like he keeps all the filth and the junk and covers it with his grace and mercy and gets rid of it, and it's no longer existent, and everything that is good, he gives it back to us only in the sense that we can steward it to one another. And as long as we start clinging to us, it becomes sin in our life, and then we've got to give it over, and it's that thing that has to be covered now. We're washed away like regeneration, purified and cleansed so that we might do what is right. And so Christ's control looks like us giving up everything to Christ and saying, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to serve? Who do you want me to submit to? What do you, where can I use my gifts and my talents and my treasures and my time to glorify you in this place, God? so my main point for you this morning from this passage is this, that God purifies His people, regenerates and renews His people to be different in the community, to be different in their household, and to be different in their community because the gospel message of Jesus Christ transforms us. And so if you're struggling in your community, the band's going to come forward, and Pastor Glenn, I'm going to ask you to come forward for prayer. If anybody wants to pray, I would love for you to come forward, talk to Pastor Glenn, um, get counsel and wisdom and prayer. And I want to ask you to do this. Think, think, think on this. If your household or your community around you is seeing an attitude or works in you that are unholy and unrighteous, have you brought those before God's word and God's people and God? Is this sin in my life? If, if your household is out of control and your children are out of control or your spouse uh, or your, uh, uh, your workplace is out of control, have you brought that to anybody to go, look, man, this, I need some help. Is this, is this sin like, What's going on here? And in God's grace in our, in our community, in our leadership, I think what they ought to lead you to do is put it before the Word of God, and then all of a sudden, that final piece, right? Question five, have I, have I given over that Christ control? Like, Christ, here you go. I can't do this anymore. Households in disarray, if your community's in disarray, starts Here. So maybe you're in here this morning, don't let this be another day. Don't let this be another day that you hide something within you that is causing disruption around you. Don't let this be another day that sin within you builds up guilt and shame and condemnation within your own heart that nobody else knows about. Don't let this be another day that your church body just looks like everybody dresses up nice and pretty and comes into a perfectly straight, thank you Steve, rows of chairs with wonderful heat, thank you, Jeff. I'm thankful for those things. I don't want to act like I'm not thankful for them. I'm thankful for the sound, Charlie, Will, like I'm thankful for all these good things. Thankful for wonderful music. Thankful for cameras that we put this on Facebook and all these different things. But guys, if we do all these different things and all we do is come in here and then leave, and we're not being regenerated and renewed by the power of the Spirit, then we're disobeying everything God's called us to do. And we like should shut this place down. What's going on in your life? Where are you at? We're here. We want to walk with you. Don't be alone. Let me pray for you. Pastor Lynn's going to come forward and we're going to continue to worship. God, we desperately need you because of your Son, Jesus Christ. We have been freed and forgiven through his life, death, and resurrection. In this life, though, God, we struggle. We struggle with sin and within us. We struggle with sin outside of us. We struggle with what other people say about us, that we wonder even if it is sin. And so I pray, God, right now in this moment that you would just expose sin but pour out grace. God, that you would reveal sin in this moment but cover it with such grace that there's no remorse and shame that is unholy but rather everything shows us how wicked and evil and we just push it away and draw near to what is good. I pray, God, you wouldn't evoke some unhealthy thoughts about sin, but rather you would help us to be conquerors, understanding our freedom and forgiveness that is found in you. I pray, God, in this moment you would reveal sin but pour out grace. I pray, God, you would renew and regenerate. And I pray, Father, if there's anybody in this room that has sin in their life that they have not repented of or communicated or brought to light, that right now that would cause such angst in their heart and such frustration and struggle in their heart that they would reach out, cling to something that could give them help. Whether it's biblical community, your scripture, your your son Jesus Christ, the Spirit in them, Pastor Glenn over here is ready to pray. God, would you allow us to come clean in front of you as you make us clean through your Spirit? So Father, would you move in this place, pour your spirit out in this place, transform our hearts like only you can do. And Father, I pray as you purify this church that you would send us out of this place to transform households and to transform our community with the gospel. We love you, Father, and praise you in your son's name. Amen.
1: you guys so much for joining us this morning remember you're sitting to the midst of darkness to light it up we'll see you later
0: you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after jesus uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with christ
1: and how you can grow in your spiritual journey